If you would please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, we're looking at verses 21 through 26 in our sermon series in Romans. If you need a Bible, there should be some in the chairs and pews in front of you. We're on page 941 to get to Romans 3. And so we're, we're now in week four of, of study in this passage, and we've called it perhaps the most important paragraph in the, the whole Bible. And the reason why we would say such a thing is because this passage contains the very heart of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. As one of my friends recently said, you know, this passage basically teaches us what Christianity is all about. And I agree with that. Because this passage is so dense and rich in the theology of the gospel, we're really taking time to to savor it and to think through it. And one of the ways we want to help you do that, to savor it, to meditate on it, to memorize it, we have these scripture memory cards Uh, They were in the bulletin last week, but if you weren't here, we have a stack of them out there in the lobby. Please take one. They're very beautifully designed, and they're designed to help us all to to memorize and to meditate on God's Word. So uh, please, uh, please enjoy that, and please get you one. So this is, again, our fourth week studying this passage, surveying the different biblical doctrines that are presented to us in this passage. And so three weeks ago, we looked at the righteousness of God, that it's a righteousness outside of us that God has given to us by faith. And then two weeks ago, we looked at this important doctrine of justification by faith, whereby God has declared us righteous by grace through faith in Christ alone. And then last week, we looked at this really good, important truth of redemption, this wonderful truth that Christ has purchased our freedom. His death was a ransom, if you will, and we are free from the bondage of sin. And so this week, we're going to look at the final important doctrine that shows up for us in this passage, and that is propitiation. That's what we're going to talk about today, propitiation. Here now, uh, the reading of God's holy and errant authoritative word to us this morning, Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege it is to dig deep into the wonderful promises you have made to us in Christ. Teach us now, O Lord, not so that we can be smarter, 
so that we can love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more. Lord, it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, back when I was in college a few years ago, uh, the Lord was, was gracious to put people and influences in my life to teach me the doctrines of grace. Uh, when I began to, to learn that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, I could not get enough of these wonderful biblical truths. Still can't. I think my uh, love, my, my, very naturally, my love for the Scriptures grew as a result of my appreciation for the Gospel and what God has done for us through Christ. But what also grew was my appetite to, to know God more and more, to know more about His character and His attributes and His works. And so one of the resources that was suggested to me back then to help me grow in my understanding of who God was was this wonderful book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. So this is the very copy I got back in college. It came from this magical place called Amazon in the 90s that it would just show books up at your door. It was great. I had no idea who this man was, J.I. Packer, and why did he go by his initials? His name is Jim. <laughs> very distinguished way, I guess, to put it on a book that way. But I can tell you that that book, uh, of course, next to the Bible, had a major impact on me. And back then, I would have said, and I'd still say today, it's one of the top three Christian books that I know I've read and studied and, and love so much. And I think the reason why it's such a helpful book and a, is because it's saturated with Scripture. And it's, it's, expou it's espousing Scripture to us over and over of who God is and how deep is His love and His, His character Every page is constantly pointing you back to the God who is amazing. And I remember one of my mentors telling me, he said, you need to make sure you, you read very carefully chapter 18 in that book. Chapter 18 is worth the price of the book. And I'm like, well, what's chapter 18? Chapter 18 is called The Heart of the Gospel. And I thought to myself, well, I better just skip ahead and go ahead and read that, that chapter so I can tell him I did and talk to him about it. When I finally got to reading this chapter on the heart of the gospel, it was not what I thought it was going to be on because it introduced a, a term to me that I was very unfamiliar with called propitiation. Why would a word I'd never heard of be the heart of the gospel, I thought, that propitiation is what that chapter was on. And in that chapter, uh, J.I. Packer beautifully explained this doctrine that he called the very heart of the gospel the very heart of the good news. And I think I underlined and highlighted almost every word um, in that chapter. So I went back and reread it this week for the sermon. It's that still good. It's my hope and prayer that after today you will agree that God's grace is so amazing, that God's love is far greater than anything you and I could hope for or imagine. And it's because Jesus was the propitiation for those who believe in him by faith. So before we go any further, let's define this, this big word. Let's go ahead and define what is propitiation. Propitiation means to appease or pacify the wrath of God. It means to appease or pacify the wrath of God. 
the wrath of God being his holy and righteous anger. And now there's a lot we need to explain and unpack in this idea, but the, the, generally the idea is that God is holy. He is holy, and because he is holy, his holy wrath is being revealed from heaven against sin and unrighteousness. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. Back in Romans 1, verse 18, that's what Paul wrote. The wrath of God is being revealed against sin and unrighteousness. God cannot simply ignore sin. It's contrary to his nature. He is, he is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And therefore, sin, it has to be punished. His, his, his wrath has to be satisfied or pacified. This is why Jesus had to die on the cross. And so let's look at this important doctrine here in Romans 3. And there are three truths about propitiation that we need to know this morning that will cert most certainly take us deeper and deeper into the heart of God and the heart of the gospel. Three truths about propitiation. The first is propitiation was God's initiative. It was God's initiative. It was his idea. The second is that propitiation was costly. It was costly. It was not cheap. And the third is propitiation. It was for our good. It was for our blessing. So let's look at those three. First, propitiation was God's initiative. J.I. Packer said it this way. He said, the idea of propitiation, that is, averting God's anger by an offering, it runs right through the Bible. In other words, on, on, throughout the whole storyline of, of the Bible, we, we see this, this idea of propitiation uh, coming, coming forward. And, and in other words, propitiation is not a new idea or a new teaching that the Apostle Paul had here. I think most specifically, we see this idea show up in the book of Leviticus. And so, if you're on your Bible reading plan this year, you're probably close to Leviticus and you just kind of have to buckle up, right? This is going to be tough. Oh boy, Leviticus. <laughs> and there's a lot going on in Leviticus, a lot of ceremonial law, a lot of specifics about sacrifices and animal sacrifices and blood. What, what's going on there in Leviticus? Well, in the middle of the book of Leviticus, you'll, you'll find some gospel there, actually. <laughs> you'll read about this really important day that took place every year in the life of Israel called the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was worthy of a lot of celebration and, and a lot of hope and good news and worship because this would be the day that God's, the, the people's sins would be forgiven. And so the high priest was chosen by Lot and he would have this important ministry of going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling blood there upon the mercy seat that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that blood sacrifice was made for, to atone for sins and part of the, the sacrifice was, was burnt to create a burnt offering. And we see this common refrain that would show up over and over as the sacrifices were made and as the burnt offerings went up. It would say that Yahweh God was 
It was pleased with the aroma. It was satisfying to him as he was pleased with the sacrifice that was made. But of course, we know today, thank the Lord, that was only a temporary form of, of a sac- the sacrificial system was only a temporary system. And it had to, had to happen every year, year after year after year, this, this would be done. But ultimately, what was it doing? It was pointing toward that once and for all sacrifice that would be made. Someone who would shed their blood one time and one time only, and it would take uh, it, it would, it would uh, accomplish uh, satisfaction toward God uh, once and for all. And that was the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And so the reason that these sacrifices had to be made was because of what we've been saying over and over, that we have a righteousness problem. We have a righteousness problem. The problem is we're not righteous. Or as Paul says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But there's another huge problem that we also have that we don't like to talk about much. We also have a wrath problem. We have a wrath problem. God's holy wrath is being revealed against sin and unrighteousness. So how can we be saved from the wrath of God? What hope is there for us? And this is where some of the most wonderful and beautiful and gracious words that we find in the Bible show up in our passage. God knew our problem, and he sought to do something about our problem. Look there in verse 25, we read that God did something. God took an initiative. God put forward he put forward his one and only son to be the propitiation for our sins jesus's blood his sacrifice it was the only thing that could satisfy the wrath of god the only thing this is what make, makes god's grace so amazing because god saw our problem. He saw our predicament. And he solved our problem for us. God made the propitiation. God's wrath was satisfied by his own action, by sending his son to die for our sins. It was God's wrath that needed to be propitiated. And it was his love that did the propitiating. Let me say that again. It was God's wrath that needed to be propitiated, and it was God's love that did the propitiating. Our problem is with God, and he solved the problem for us. Christ's death on the cross, it propitiated God in the sense that it turned God's wrath away from guilty sinners by Christ enduring that wrath himself on the cross. Amazing that God did the initiation. He, it was his idea to do this. That leads to the second thing, that propitiation was costly. It was costly. 
Christ's sacrifice on the cross not only took away our sin, but it did something more. His bloodshed, it propitiated the wrath of God. It appeased God's holy wrath against sin. This is why we can't say, we can't just say that Jesus was a good man or that he was a good teacher or that he was a good example for us to follow. He was so much more than that. He was a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice for our sin and he secured peace for us from the wrath of God because of his sacrifice. He willingly died for us. It was costly. So some of the translations of the Bible that you may be reading from may have a different word or phrase here. Uh, I'm reading and we commonly read here from the ESV the English Standard Version, but the NIV and and other translations might use a different word for propitiation. Instead, it might say sacrifice of atonement. And, And that explains it as well. Again, this is referencing what Jesus did in relationship to the Old Testament teaching, that he he was the sacrifice. He atoned for our sins by his death on on the cross. The author of the Hebrew of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews 2:17 he said therefore he that is Jesus he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people The Bible teaches us that By a man, sin entered the world, right? By Adam's sin, sin and death, spiritual death came to all men. And so it would have to be by a man that our sin would be forgiven. It had to be a man who would make the ultimate sacrifice, who would make propitiation for the sins of the people. And of course, that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. It was costly. And so we need to see, and what we need to to stop and marvel at and and to worship God to to see that it cost us nothing. Cost us nothing, not a thing. But it cost God, His Son. Another truth that we reference here so much, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says it so well. It said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ultimate sacrifice. Christ took on our sin so that we might be right before God. You may remember that scene when Jesus was in the garden praying on the night that he would be arrested and be led to be crucified. It's a very high drama scene where we read things like Jesus was sweating blood. His his heart was in anguish. Why was that? Why was our Savior in such pain and anguish in, in that moment? And he said this very interesting phrase as he was praying to his father he said father if it's possible take this cup away from me but not my will your will what cup 
What was wrong with a cup? Maybe you just had some water or something like that. He was referring to the cup of wrath. The cup of God's wrath that he was going to drink on our behalf. Because of the sacrifice he would made, he was going to absorb hell on the cross. The wrath of God. Jesus' death was costly. But then the third wonderful truth we learn about propitiation is it was for our good. It was for our good. So propitiation, it was necessary because sin arouses God's wrath. The wrath of God, again, is not something we want to talk much about in the church today. We're honest, we would rather just ignore it. But we cannot. We can't. It's necessary for us to understand and believe the good news. We have to understand that God hates sin. John Stott describes God's wrath this way. He says it's his steady, unrelenting, unremitting uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. In short, God's anger is poles apart from ours. What provokes our anger never provokes his. What provokes his anger, which is evil, seldom provokes ours. We are sinful. And God's wrath must be pacified. Because he is a just and holy God. So this is why we sing in that wonderful hymn, In Christ Alone, we sing this verse, On the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. Wonderful truth that we sing. It was God himself, his holy wrath, that needed to be propitiated. It was God himself, his holy love, that took the initiative to do the propitiating. It was God himself who took the initiative to send God the Son to die for the propitiation for our sins. And it was God's love that appeased his anger. It was for our good. He did that for us. And so this would lead us to do one thing and one thing only. This should cause us to worship God. To praise him from whom all blessings flow. And we certainly don't mean just material blessings. We mean these spiritual blessings. That the wrath of God was satisfied. Someone once said, God does not love us because Christ died for us. Christ died for us because God loves us. God's love is greater, it's bigger, it's deeper, it's higher than anything we can imagine. So when you think of Christ, when you think of your salvation and what God in Christ has done for you, we think about what it means to be a Christian. I hope that you'll now think about this doctrine of propitiation. And what God did for us. This wonderful truth that we've been thinking about this morning. It's so wonderfully summarized 
But what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4.10, that verse we read for the preparation for worship, if you want to look at it, it's at the top of your bulletin. He says this, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is very good news. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for your amazing grace and love that you sent your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We thank you that the gospel never gets old or boring. We thank you for your word that constantly takes us deeper and deeper into your love. Father, we pray that these truths would take our focus off of ourselves and that we would focus on you and worshiping you. We thank you that Christ died because you love us and your wrath was satisfied. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.